Psalm 17. In the shadow of your wings, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity, with their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Psalm 17, um, prayer of petition. Uh, David's petitioning God for protection, um, for righteousness, and uh, ultimately just doesn't want to be overtaken by the uh, evil force that's around him that he's perceiving is, is there. So let's, let's begin. 16th century reformer John Calvin wrote in his Institutes of Christian Religion, all of us who have descended from impure seed, which is all of us, are born infected with the contagion of sin. We can't get away from it. Sin is in us when we are born. Um, it's, it's in us this morning, even, even after we have accepted Christ as our Savior. It's, it's, it's in our bodies. Um, our, our flesh wants it. Our flesh wants to be selfish and fulfill that. Um, and the term contagion, we all probably cringe a little bit at the last three, after the last three years. Um, it's, it's a little too, uh, too real today um, than it was before. Um, it's a disease that is passed on it, um, one to another. And uh, yeah, you, you can't get away from it. Sin is hereditary. It's passed through us, um, and it's affecting us every day. Even on driving here, I'm, you know, in traffic and, and thinking of why everyone else around me is doing something wrong <laughs> and affecting me and, and causing me to get here even later and, and um, just, it affects us every day. So, <clears throat> even David um, had sin in his life, as we know, we've read about it in the Psalms and he doesn't 
he, it doesn't keep him from coming to God. So every time he had an issue in his life, um, a reason to celebrate even, a reason to cry, he reached out to God and told him about it, told him what he was feeling, told him what he was going through, what it was making him um, feel and do, and asked him for, in this case, salvation from it. Um, asked him for strength, asked him for wisdom. Um, so let's, let's look at verse 1 here where he begins his call to, to God this time. Verse 1, hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Hear a just cause. He's, David's laying out his case, why God should, should hear him, why God should put his ear down and, and listen to a sinner, someone that fails to follow after him, follow, do the things he's, he's asked, that God has asked him to do. And he's, he starts this, this case, laying out his case before God with lips free of deceit. He's not attempting to pursue God and also his own desires. He's not deceiving God by saying, you know, I'm all for you, God. I'm, I'm living my life just as you told me, but you know, over here in the, in the closet of his, of his life, <laughs> behind closed doors, he's doing another life. He's doing other things. Um, he's got one master that he serves. I forgot to give you my outline. I skipped right over that. So we're in point one, a pure petition, which is what David has started. And that was my first, my first uh, supporting argument, is that David serves God as one master. In verses 1 through 3, uh, he's, he's laying out the reasons of uh, why God should listen to him. If you didn't catch that, I said, kind, of, kind of touched on that, but didn't lay it out for you, so I'm sorry for that. Leading you blind. The idea of serving two masters, if you may have run into if you have ever tried to multitask at work or at home or wherever. You can't do two tasks and do them well with quality. You'll, one, one task will suffer while you're focusing on the other, then you jump back and forth trying to keep them both going. And it's exhausting, as I'm sure everyone has experienced. But when we get busy and we, and we are stressed, we, we still try to do it because we are trying to succeed in our own strength. We're, we're trying to do all of those things. We don't want to ask for help. We don't want to be the one that, oh, you, you, didn't, you didn't have your own strength. You couldn't do this. You're not strong enough. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear that we're good, right? We're, we're good enough. But when we lean on ourselves, just like as, this, as we just sang a few songs ago, um, we will surely fail. We, we cannot lean on ourselves and, and succeed in life. Uh, we can't keep ourselves from sinning because we are sinners. If we don't let go of the desire to have ourselves be exalted by the world through 
riches or title to our name, our status and the good things we do, we'll never truly serve God. We'll always be back and forth trying to serve ourselves, trying to do right in front of God, trying to appease both sides, and we'll be torn in two. Uh, Matthew records what Jesus says about this as well in in uh, chapter 6, verse 24. Almost asked someone to stand and read that, but I, I, can, I can do it. Uh, um, so if you want to turn there real quick, um, you know, or you could just listen, I guess. It's fine. We'll be lazy today. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. It's a clear picture that what we, what we were just saying about the multitasking is true. We cannot go in two different directions. We can't go down two paths. We can't, and, and God tells us that his path is opposite from the world. So we have to choose one. All right, so number two, David, number two reason David thinks God should listen to him. God had promised David's house would live forever, would go on forever. Um, I can't imagine someone telling me that. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you would take that, but this is shown here in verse 2. Um, well, not, not the promise. I'll get to that later. But in verse 2, he says, From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right even though God, uh, David was doing a, a great job, um, the best he could to follow God's commandments and to follow the law, read his, you know, to follow the, what the Word has said, um, he knew that he could not be good enough to save himself. He knew that he needed something else beyond him. And he's holding fast to the promise that God had made him that his house would, would go on forever. So we look at Second uh, Samuel 7. I didn't, I didn't pinpoint one verse other than the chapter, but you can read that on your own sometime and, and, and learn more about this. But Second Samuel 7, God delivers a promise to David through Samuel where he lays out that through David's lineage there will be an offspring that will bring an eternal throne that will rule over heaven and hell. And so that's what he is, he's pointing to when he says, let my vindication come for you. I think he's calling for that promise to that God had made to him to come true. He wanted it now. Like he's He's thinking of future grace, but he wants it now, and he's asking God for it because he's in a, in a, in a uh, trial that he knows he can't save himself from. Paul tells the church in Rome, no one can earn salvation by obeying the law, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's Romans 3, 23 through 25, if you want to write that down. Um, it's, a, it's a testament and a reminder again that it's only through God's blood or, or God's son's blood that we can uh, be saved from the sin that is bondage in our life. And I believe that's what David is calling for that comes from God's presence. He's, he's calling for that, that uh, evidence to be laid, um, evidence that David is pure, be laid on top of him because of what God's son did, not because of what David did. <clears throat> um, before I move into this next paragraph, I have to apologize to my wife. She, uh, she told me earlier this week that I couldn't use her in an illustration. Um, and I think I, I think I ended up doing it twice last last night when I was rewrite, rewriting all this. So, so sorry, babe. <clears throat> it's all good. I, nothing bad. Nothing embarrassing. Too too embarrassing anyway. It's embarrassing for me because it talks about sharing emotions and feelings and things like that, which I try to make everyone think that I don't do. So <clears throat> I hide it because I know I have them. So. When Krista and I were dating in college, um, a long time ago, not as long as some of you, but it's feeling longer and longer these days. So when Krista and I were dating, um, we were still getting to know each other, obviously. That's what dating's for. Um, you're, you're learning who the other person is, what they want, what they desire, um, what they think the meaning of life is. Uh, Etc. to make sure that you're on the same page um, and whether you should move forward, right? Dating in a nutshell for you guys that are still dating. So when we were in college, we we had this idea. I don't remember who came up with it, but I remember the notebook being a little more girly, so I think Krista probably did. But we wrote in a notebook and we wrote our our thoughts and feelings and... and, um, questions to each other and, you know, little love letters now and then, sharing who we were and what we thought we would want out of life, what we wanted out of our careers, our dreams, our passions, and then we'd pass it to each other between class or drop it through the, you know, cracked window of our cars, because this, you know, like I said, it was a long time ago, we didn't have text. We barely had phones that worked more than an hour and uh, weren't, you know, really expensive to have, so... Um, in this notebook, we, we would share our dreams and we, we would comment on them to back and forth to each other. So we, we got to know each other in a, in a shorter period of time. We basically immersed ourselves into, you know, what, what are they going to tell me next? What are they going what, to, what is she going to share to me? Or, what, you know, how can I tell her about what's in my heart and um, what I wanted to do with my life, which, I mean, how old were we? 19, 20 when we started dating? Um, we didn't know anything, so um, it's, not a, it's not a good read now. It's more embarrassing than anything, so because we, we found it a year or so ago, but good memories anyway. So the idea of <laughs> sharing each other with, with one another and sharing your heart 
is, falls right here in David's third reason that God should listen to him. David knew God knew his heart. Yeah. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. David knew if God looked into to his heart, there'd be nothing there that he hasn't already told God about. He's confessed where he's fallen short. He's asked for strength where he was weak. He's, he's, he keeps this um, communion, this conversation going with God about who he is and what he wants and um, what he's going through, like, et cetera, that we've already, already kind of chatted about. But well, not chatted. I did the talking. You, you guys listened. David was an open book. There was nothing there to hide. Um, and he knew that his relationship with God was fully committed to following on God's path. He uses the terms purposed with his mouth not to transgress and to avoid the path of the sinner, keeping his steps on the path of God. He studied God. He read the letters from God, meaning he, wrote, he read God's word. And as, as we benefit today, he wrote letters back. He shared his heart as God showed David his heart. See, I have emotions too. I don't know where it came from, but. <clears throat> he read God's word to know what God's expectations were, what God wanted of David. And so he followed those steps. Um, at this time in David's life, there would have been like six books of the Bible, seven. <laughs> Um, written. Obviously, the, the history was already there, um, so he probably heard stories, um, but when, you know, our Bible, if you, you could look up, like, when Genesis was written or whatever, it's, it's not too far before um, David, and that's relative because the time that's passed now between, you know, whatever. Um, so he had the Torah, he had, he had a few books and the history that was passed on, the oral history of the church, um, of Israel's uh, history, to pull from here. But he knew who God was. He, he knew of the stories of how God uh, delivered Israel from Egypt. And I'm getting ahead, but he, he knew all these stories. He knew how much God loved him through those stories. And he chose in his heart to follow after God, follow after his desires instead of his own as a result of seeing how much God loved him. Another thing we see here in these verses is that um, God tested David and he tried him, which is, which is a picture of, and I know, we've talk, I know Matt has shared this many times and over many different years because different analogies, etc. Um, but this is like a refiner's fire. Uh, um, if you take 
gold out of the earth. It's dirty. And, and that's where God has found us. He's found us in, in, a, in a wasteland. And he's taken that and he's, he's, he's put it to fire. He's put it to test. He's put pressure on it. And all of that is to take the impurities out. Um, one, of the, one of the things I always struggled with, and I have to apologize to Richard, you moved. Um, I read the, the songs that Richard put into the, the, the services this week, uh, I think on Thursday night. And I, did, I judged a book by its cover. I, I read the titles of the songs, and I don't remember all the, you know, the lyrics, so I was like, those songs don't pop to me. I mean, I wanted something good, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we were... <laughs> We were singing. Uh, we were singing this morning already. I'm like, well, there's my sermon in that song. There's that part of that's in there. So every song this morning already has given basically the same approach, the same uh, uh, thought <laughs> that David was having here is that he can't do it on his own. And I'm, I was put to shame actually where I was singing. So. Richard, forgive me for, for uh, doubting God's hand in you. So, <clears throat> All right, I'm bouncing all over the place, but this is fun. I'm, I'm getting warmed up, loosened. Yeah, I'm, it's, 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 it's good. Hope you're getting something out of it. All right, so Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his, his way pure? By guarding it according to God's word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me wander from your commandments. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think that's a pretty clear um, summary of what David is, is laying out here is that his justification in saying God should listen to him isn't, isn't because of David. <clears throat> He's saying that God should listen to him because he knows that God has already promised him that a Savior would come and rid the world of sin, himself included. He had already humbled himself and confessed to God where he had fallen short. He had, he had already set his, his passion and his pursuit on the treasure that God had for him rather than anything that he could get on earth of himself, even as a king. He knew that God was better than anything here. All right, point two. We're going to speed it up. Now that I'm warmed up, know what I'm doing, maybe. Thank you, Lord, for being here. <clears throat> um, number two here in the text, a petition for protection. God protects those he loves. I call upon you, for you will answer, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked one who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. 
David's calling on God's steadfast love. I, what, I don't know what you think about when you hear steadfast love other than it's steadfast, right? It's firm. This is calling, this is kind of compared, would be compared to like a marriage relationship, a marriage commitment where neither party strays. You have that, that love that bonds. Um, in these verses, David is trusting God will cry or answer his cry like a parent who answers the cry of a child in the middle of the night. <clears throat> or a spouse that would come alongside and say, you can do this, or we can do this together. I'm, I'm here for you, and supports them through that. And I'm sure, I think I've covered pretty much everybody. Everyone can relate to something. One of those two examples, as a parent or a child, you, you, either side of that, you, you know that your parent loves you when they come to you in the middle of the night. You know that you can trust in them because they're there. They answer your call. David has, has seen God do that for him. In verse 7, he uh, expounds on this uh, imagery. <laughs> Um, with the term at your right hand. And in verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. All of these images, these uh, descriptions of love place a dependent under the careful care careful watch, careful protection of someone larger than them. The term right hand is reserved for referring to the strongest side of a king, where he would put his most precious servant, someone that has done great deeds for them, for him and for his cause. Um, we know in, in the New Testament that Jesus said that he sits at the right hand of his Father. And we know how much Jesus has done for God. He came to earth. He put his body through the pain of sinning again, not sinning against, but seeing, you know, being tempted and struggling with that and um, been the pain of death and the... Um, pain of seeing his dad turn his back on him because of the sin that he took on. He did the greatest commitment, and so the right hand of his father, his king father, was reserved for him. Apple of the eye and shadow of the wing are visual representations of being in the center of someone's vision uh, or, or care. Um, I believe David here is, is going back to Deuteronomy, and I forgot the number, Deuteronomy 32, um, where I think it was Moses, like Moses' song right before he uh, passes away and his, his death is told. Um, they're recounting how God has, had re found Israel in a, in a barren wasteland 
and rescued them out of that and nourished them with manna from the sky, from honey from a rock, all of these things that were miraculous. Um, it was nothing that Israel did. They complained the whole time. It's too hot. Are we there yet? All those things. He kept a cloud and, and sun pillar in front of them to protect them from the sun during the day as they walked through the wilderness. And uh, the, the fire pillar kept them warm at night when the desert was cold. And also, I'm pretty sure everyone stayed away because a pillar of fire is pretty frightening, um, especially as it moves along. So I've never seen one. I'm just imagining that it would be pretty frightening. So he, he put Israel in the front of his attention and his care and took them not only through the desert, but to his promised land. Those, those imageries are really deep. You can keep throwing things at it to explain it, but hopefully, hopefully that did it. Uh, the second part of this section here, uh, starting in verse 10. He describes the opposite of being in God's care, the who doesn't do that. So he describes them as closed-hearted, or they close their hearts to pity, which is referring to callousness. Their mouths, they speak arrogantly, which I, I picked up that it, it's referring to the fact they think they do it all in their own power. They think they've done it all. They don't recognize that God is doing it for them and, del and delivering them, to, or these gifts to him, to them. Verse 11, it goes to say that they have surrounded David's steps. They set their eyes to cast him to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, from men of the world whose portion is in life. <clears throat> the world's closed off, their hearts are callous, and they only pursue their own pleasures. They live in contrast to God. The Hebrew pointing to eyes set to cast down is, says that it's, it's an action where you don't just glare at somebody. Like, um, you might think of it as like mean mugging. Somebody does something bad and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you, but you're just looking at them. No, this is something where they, it's, it's given the image of someone coming up to them and getting in front of, impeding a path of, to turn that person around. So he's saying this evil in the, in the world that's callous to God around him surrounds him. It's everywhere. And all they, it seems like all that they want to do is keep, keep David from living for God. He wants to, they want to turn him away from that. Verses 12 and 14, David changes the subject to a singular. I believe that is because he's pointing to the root of the problem. He's pointing to the fact that Satan is behind the deceit that the world is, is living in. They're deceived. They don't know that they're callous to God. They just know that, hey, life is good. 
I can I can do what I want when I want, etc. And um, that's what they live for. They live for pleasure, their own pleasures. And Satan has pulled the wool over their eyes, deceived them into thinking that that is okay, and that's all that they need to do. And Satan, being the one behind all this, his goal is to pry us away from God's protection, to pull us, try to pull us out of the cleft of the rock or out of his hand, you know, where he's, Jesus says that his Father has us forever if we believe in them. <clears throat> At the end of the verses there, um, David says to God to confront him, which is the opposite of the overtaking. It's similar, but it's in a different context here, but he wants an evil knocked down. And I believe here again, God, uh, David is looking for future grace, where he's asking God to go to war against the evil and the um, <clears throat> attacks from sin to put it to bed once and for all. Okay. Verses end of end of verse fourteen and, and fifteen. <clears throat> I think David changes here to more of a precaution of pursuits, and that's my third point. I did my best to, to lay out alliteration for to, to copy Matt, so you guys weren't lost in that. So we, you know, we've got all P's throughout. Took me a whole day to. <laughs> Um, come up with the, the, the words to fit. <clears throat> David says that the world is filled with treasure, their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. I believe this is a, the precaution of a pursuit because he recognizes that God being so generous with his love and his provision for the world, that the world also, also oftentimes feels or see, seems um, to be successful. They have everything they need. They're, they're, you know, living in mansions and whatever. Not, not that it's bad living in mansions, but they're, that's what they're pursuing. Like, they're living in a mansion because that's what they wanted. Like, that's what their dream was of life was to live in a big house and drive a fancy car. And sometimes we may envy that. <clears throat> but I believe this precaution here, this caution is, is to say a word of encouragement to whoever was listening to him in his letter was to say that it's not worth it. Because the world in their pursuits is like dogs under a table at a feast who only get the crumbs and the scraps that fall. And yet it's so bountiful and generous that they're fat. But they're never satisfied by that. So they just keep pursuing and keep consuming and keep chasing after something that they don't even know will satisfy them. If we don't know who God is and when we don't seek his commandments <clears throat> and learn his heart, 
We may find ourselves content with scraps, never knowing that there is so much more on the table. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory, which I'm sure some of you have heard this before, but our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at a sea, we are too far, we're far too easily pleased. This is what I meant by, if we're not careful, we could be satisfied with the scraps. We could be satisfied with the pieces that we think this is, you know, like, that are so great because they're, they're small pictures of where they came from. They're small pictures of God who provided them. But if that's all we're after, we're after the scraps, we're after the, the house, the money, the car, the job, the, you know, the family, that's that's not going to be enough for us. We're putting all that stuff into it. How it's described in other sermons throughout my life anyway. Um, It's a God-sized hole. And we keep throwing things in there, but it never fills up. We're never satisfied. Because the only thing that can fit, you know, if you remember kindergarten, the only thing that can really fit into a hole that's made for a certain thing is the thing that's supposed to go in the hole. I've always liked this quote, and so I I really fought to put it in here. Um, (laughs) I moved it around a lot, but um, it's probably more because of the relationship I had with the guy that first told me about it, my high school Bible teacher. But John Piper said in The Pleasures of God, faith is the quenching of the soul's thirst at the fountain of God. And he described, my, my Bible teacher explained this by a story of him visiting Niagara Falls. He went on the lower deck on this trip and was amazed to feel the force of the water and just the wind off the water falling. And he he likened that to how much God provides for us and how much God has laid out there for us to have in our life. There's so much of it. He's he's immense. God is. He's so big and so deep that we cannot fathom. And so when we try to drink from him, it will be like drinking out of the Niagara. There was plenty there, but it will take us a long time to drink, drink that much water. None. Okay. So what do we do with a passage like this? What, what does it mean to call on the Father um, because he knows us, because he loves us? I forget my own points now. Um, what do we do with that? I think we try to copy it. Um, David was... at best, uh, um, an apprentice of God. 
he worked to know God and to follow him and to do what he was supposed to do or what God was telling him to do. So he was learning from a master of a craft how to do that craft. And I know it's an analogy that Matt has used, but hey, we're all in the same church, so this is where I pull from too. So I'm trying to link it back to things that you can remember as well. David trusted his treasure and fulfillment was God, so we should as well. We read through the Psalms and you find every time David had an issue or fear or a celebration, a loss, he talked to God about it. He loved his Lord like a son loves his father. So he pursued him. He obeyed his commands. And he waited with much expectation for God to return and take him to live with him in paradise. What are you relying on today? What do you expect to help you when you need rescuing from the fruit of your desire, from the fruit of your pursuit? What is your ultimate treasure? I feel like if we were honest, there's some people here that may need to start from, from the beginning and ask, just ask, simply ask God to forgive their sin and to rescue them from sin. Ask God's son to be the blood that covers the sin so that they have a relationship with God, so they have that reconciliation. Others may be at that step but need to um, uh, submerge themselves into who God is and learning what, it, what, it, what God has for them, um, what it means to follow God. Um, <clears throat> and of course, I'm, I'm describing the, the act of being a disciple of Jesus. You can read through the New Testament and see examples of that from I'm not going to try to remember all, name all the apostles' names because I'll, I'll forget because my mind is still crazy, but you can read through the Bible and see examples of men being called to follow Jesus and they laid down their families, their jobs, everything to follow after him. And then they learned what that meant on the, on the way. So, like, don't, don't try to improve yourself before following him. Just start doing it pick it up right now, wherever you're at. I pray that you find faith in God. Faith that's not satisfied with the mud pies of the slums, but a faith that pushes you on to know who, more of who God is, more of why he promised to send his son just more of that fatherly love that he has for us. So that one day, God will come and take you to the shores of heaven. Where you will see beautiful castles.
Let's pray.